Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, listeners. This episode of Luke's English Podcast is sponsored by italki, which is a very convenient service that you can use to develop your fluency in English while talking to native speakers online. To claim your italki voucher worth 100 credits, just go to teacherluke.co.uk forward slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. Okay, now let's start the new episode and here we go. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. In this episode, you're going to hear part two of my conversation with Ian Moore. And uh, I've decided to call this episode More Ian Moore. Do you see what I've done there? Uh, More Ian Moore. That's right. I made a sort of a joke. I'm sure that no one has ever made that joke about his name before, right? So here it is, More Ian Moore. But uh, before we listen to a bit more of Ian Moore, I just uh, would like to mention a few things at the start of this episode. First of all, my voice. You might have noticed that my voice sounds a bit strange. You might be thinking, what's going on with your voice? Uh, well, I've just got a sore throat. Um, I've got a sore throat. I've had a bit of a cold lately. And uh, it seems that whenever I catch a cold these days, I always lose my voice sort of at the end of the cold, you know, it, the cold usually starts in the back of my throat, I can feel like this tickling sensation in the back of my throat, and then I start to feel like um, I've got sort of phlegm at the back of my throat, it's, it's disgusting, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it's horrible, and then the, the cold develops from there, and it's, you, I end up getting a blocked up nose, and a headache, and a, I get this weird sort of constricted feeling at the back of my throat and that eventually turns into a sort of a dry, sore throat. And then because obviously I'm an English teacher, because I spend some of my time talking to groups of people, um, invariably that sore throat ends up getting worse and then I lose my voice. And in some, sometimes I lose my voice so badly that I can't work and I can't record episodes of the podcast. Um, and uh, that has happened in the past. Usually when that happens, when I really lose my voice badly, then I just uh, I kind of write uh, blog posts and put them on the website saying, I've lost my voice. I'll be back on the podcast soon. Uh, but I've, I think that my voice isn't that bad at this point, And it's, uh, it's okay enough for me to be able to record this introduction. And uh, some might say that it uh, makes me sound very sexy, that having this kind of gravelly uh, uh, voice makes me sound even sexier than normal. Um, I don't know. I don't know what you think. So it's, it's a bit annoying and a bit uncomfortable, but it's not too bad because uh, I'm not going to talk a lot in this episode. Um, I did, by the way, do an episode a few years ago about feeling sick and having um, common symptoms. 
Um, and in that episode, I went through all of the vocabulary of having a cold and having the flu and all the typical symptoms that we associate with those things. And in fact, while I was recording that episode, I did have a sore throat then as well. So if you like the sound of this sore throat, if you do think it sounds attractive, and in fact, you want to learn all of the vocabulary for having a cold and all the language associated with that, then you can um, listen to that episode from the archives. And it is called... Um, health, what's it called? Wait a minute. So the episode um, is called, it's number 40, health, feeling ill, phrasal verbs and expressions. You can find the link on the page or you can find the episode in the episode archive on my website. Um, Other things I'd like to mention at the beginning here. um, Thank you very much if you uh, took part in my survey, which I mentioned in the last recording that I uploaded. Uh, Thank you very much for those of you who did take part in the survey. Thank you for your feedback. Um, If you haven't done that, then you you still can, of course. Um, Just find the previous um, page on in the archive and uh, you'll find a survey there where you can just tell me what kind of episodes of this podcast you like. Um, So it's very interesting to see the results. I'm not talking about the results now, but um, it's very interesting to see them. And thank you very much for your feedback. Um, The anecdote competition is still open. I'm still waiting for you to send your anecdotes to me. And I've had uh, more entries in my inbox. So thank you very much if you sent uh, an anecdote to me. Um, and um, the competition is still open. Uh, you've got until the 5th of October to send me your anecdotes. Now, I realise that this competition is quite challenging because I'm asking you to talk unscripted for up to five minutes um, in English. Um, I understand that's quite challenging. I'm sure that some of you have tried recording your anecdote again and again and again. Um, well, I would, uh, I would say to you, First of all, well, thank you for devoting so much time and effort to your entry to the competition. That's great. If you've decided it's too difficult or you're just wondering about the, the, the level of challenge, uh, then I would say um, that's kind of part of the, my reason for doing it. Um, also, someone wrote on the website recently um, that it was particularly difficult to do this task without a script. And in fact, that person said, um, Luke, I've noticed that on your website often you have... Uh, many passages of your podcasts are scripted and it looks like you script them in advance. So are you asking us to read from a script when you, uh, sorry, are you asking us to not read from a script when in fact you often read from a script on the podcast? Well, yes, that's exactly what I'm doing. Um, So I ask you to do what I say, don't do what I do. Do you know what I mean? Um, Now, yes, I do record uh, while reading from a script sometimes. But uh, also, quite a lot on the podcast, I, I read, I talk to you without reading from a script, like what I'm doing right now. Um, and in fact, I think it's better when I don't read from a script. Sometimes I have to write things down uh, because there are just important announcements or I need to get everything right word for word. Uh, but um, I actually think it's better. I think it's more engaging. And I think it's more enjoyable to listen to when things are not written from a script. Also... Um, I think that I have learnt how to read f- convincingly from a script as well. And I've also learnt how to write in the same way that I speak. Um, I've just learnt how to do that. So um, I'm able to read from a script and make it sound convincing. Um, now, in my experience from you know students I've um, heard in my lessons and stuff, 
not many of the students that I see doing presentations have learned how to do that. So I'm basically encouraging you to learn how to read without needing a script, okay? It might be difficult. In fact, you might think it's impossible. I would argue it's not impossible. You just have to try and keep trying and try again and fail and then fail better, you know, and just keep going. So the, the reason why I've asked you not to read from a script is not out of, you know, some sort of sense of cruelty on my part, but just because I think it's a good task. I think it's a good challenge and I want you to practice telling these stories without reading from a script. I just think it's better ultimately for your English. Okay. Um, all right. So those are just a few things I wanted to say at the top of this episode. Um, I'm now going to, in a, in a few minutes, I'm now going to play you the rest of the conversation I had with Ian Moore. Uh, now, you might want to listen to episode 382 before you listen to this one. Um, I expect most of you have heard uh, part one of this conversation, but if you haven't, then I suggest you go back to 382 and listen to that first. Now, I know... Um, that uh, this conversation with Ian Moore is a bit difficult for you to follow. Um, yep, recently I've been challenging you a little bit on the podcast, challenging you with my anecdote competition, and also challenging you with some uh, unscripted, ungraded, natural, authentic conversations. So I know that this conversation might be a bit difficult for you to follow. Um, and also, I'm not explaining everything in the conversation uh, here. Um, which would help, you know, that might help you. Um, but nevertheless, here is, to give you a bit of support, here is a quick rundown of what you're going to hear us talking about in this episode, okay? So hopefully just understanding the main points in the conversation is going to help prevent you to get too lost. And it's up to you to try and fill in the specific details of things we say. But here's an overview of the things that we talk about. So we start by talking about making chutney. Now, uh, chutney, what's that? Chutney is a condiment. Now, you might be thinking, wait a minute, what's a, what's a condiment? Never mind, a, never mind chutney, what the hell's a condiment? Well, a condiment, all right, is something that you have on the table when you're eating your lunch or your dinner. So, you know, salt, pepper, uh, mustard, ketchup, things like that. Those are types of condiment. And chutney is another kind of condiment. And, in fact, chutney, so it's, usually it's in a glass jar, and you have it on the table when you're eating certain kinds of food. Chutney originally comes from India, uh, and it's made of fruits or vegetables with added vinegar and some spices and sugar. Okay, so uh, it's a kind of um, savoury, it's like a savoury jam that you might have on the table when you're eating food, and originally it comes from India. So um, Ian makes chutney at home on his farm, and so we talk a little bit about chutney. We also talk about the challenges of living in the French countryside, including uh, a short uh, anecdote about the time when he had a run-in with some hunters armed with shotguns. And a run-in, by the way, is like a disagreement or a, a fight or a little collision. So he had uh, a little disagreement with some hunters who were armed with shotguns who were endangering his children. So we talk a little bit about that. <coughs> Excuse me. We also talk about doing Michael Caine impressions on stage because Ian has a habit of sort of slipping into this kind of Michael Caine impression when he's performing and when he's talking. Now, I'm sure that you know, Michael Caine is a, is a, uh, a UK actor famous for lots of film roles, 
including per- perhaps most famously recently um, Alfred in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. Um, Batman's butler uh, was played by Michael Caine in those films. Uh, so he's famous for that role, but also he's very famous in the UK for playing some very iconic roles from the 1960s in which he wore some very sharp suits um, and he was a sort of a style icon. And that's why he is a bit of an icon for the mod movement. We talked about mods in the in the last part of this episode. So we talk about Michael Caine and um, how uh, uh, Ian sometimes slips into Michael Caine impressions. And then we talk about the significance of Michael Caine uh, in UK culture. Um, and just to kind of give you a bit of a heads up, when Michael Caine speaks, he sort of speaks like this. This is a sort of bog standard Michael Caine impression and sometimes he gets very angry indeed and then he says you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off now that's not a very good Michael Caine impression perhaps a better one would come from uh, great impressionists like uh, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon if you've ever seen their TV show The Trip which you must see um, well, broadsheet journalist. There is a section that that was a bit of uh, a clip. Uh, there is a section in uh, one of the episodes in which they start doing uh, Michael Caine impressions. So in the show, they just sit opposite each other and eat dinner, and they just chat and often do impressions. So I'm playing you a clip from a TV show called The Trip, and this is Rob Brydon and Steve Coogan talking about Michael Caine and doing some impressions of his voice. So this is just an idea of what a proper Michael Caine impression sounds like. So described my impressions as stunningly accurate. Well, they're wrong. I've not heard your Michael Caine, but I assume it would be something along the lines of, my name's Michael Caine. That is where you are so wrong. And you can look at my live video for proof, because that's the very thing I don't do. I say that he used to talk like that. Do you, Michael Caine? Okay. I say, Michael Caine used to talk like this in the 1960s, right? But that has changed. And I say that over the years, Michael's voice has come down several octaves. Let me finish. And all of the cigars and the brandy don't let me finish can now be heard. Okay. In the, I've not fucking finished in the back of the voice and the voice okay. now. Well, I've still not finished the voice. Because you're panicking. I've, yeah, no, because you look stop. like you're about to bloody talk. Let me finish. Right, so... Michael Caine's voice now in the Batman movies and in Harry Brown. I can't go fast because Michael Caine talks very, very slowly. Right, this is how Michael Caine speaks. Michael Caine speaks to his nose like that. He gets very, very specific. It's very like that. When he gets loudly, it gets very loud indeed. It gets very specific. It's not quite nasal enough the way you're doing it, all right? You're not doing it the way he speaks. You're not doing it with the kind of... And you don't do the broken voice when he gets very emotional. When he gets very emotional indeed. She was only 16 years old. She was only 16... You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. That's Michael Caine. Okay, so what you just heard there was Rob Bryden and Steve Coogan doing their Michael Caine impressions. And that, that's what it sounds like when someone speaks with a Michael Caine voice, and I can't do it very well. But nevertheless, there you go. Now you understand, right? You understand the cultural reference there about Michael Caine, and you now know what Michael Caine's voice sounds like. And when he speaks, he points at people while he's talking, and he speaks in groups of three words. So you take your sentence and break it down into three words and three word chunks 
like that. And then you start to get very angry and you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. Right, that's how you do a Michael Caine impression. Right. So we talk about Michael Caine. Well, then we talk about Ian developing his comedy voice and talk uh, about how he developed as a stand-up comedian. Uh, we talk about uh, his experiences of gigging, so doing gigs, doing uh, performances in different places around the UK. And I ask him if it's different, for example, performing in London, performing in Liverpool or Glasgow, and what the diff- cultural differences are in the in the different parts of the country. I I asked him about performing comedy in French because he speaks a bit of French and he recently did some comedy shows in French. So what was that like? We talk about the origin of the expression break a leg. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Break a leg. Now, if um, when do we say break a leg? Well, you say that when uh, a performer is about to go and do a performance. It's like a way of uh, saying good luck to a, a performer. So let's say someone you know is about to go and do a performance. You might say break a leg and it basically means good luck. So where does that expression come from? Break a leg. Does it mean that you hope the person will actually break their leg on stage? It sounds a bit strange. Well, if you want to know more about break a leg, then you, you will find out in this conversation. Uh, we also talk about Brexit a little bit including uh, Ian's blog, which is called Full English Brexit, and he's been writing some blog articles about Brexit, uh, which have uh, gathered quite a, uh, a lot of views. So there's some Brexit chat in there again. We then come back to the subject of Chutney uh, and uh, mention his books, um, which uh, if you're interested in getting his books, you can find the links on the page for this episode. Um, and also on the page for this episode, you can see some video footage of Ian Moore performing on stage. Okay, right, so thank you very much for listening to this, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Uh, Recorded for your listening pleasure, I know that it might be difficult uh, because you're listening to two native speakers talking at natural speed. All I can do uh, regarding that is to just encourage you not to give up because the more you listen, the more you will understand And in the long term, you certainly won't improve your English at all by giving up and not listening. So keep going. And whenever you do understand something, give yourself a pat on the back. Well done. And then just keep going. All right. Um, So I will talk to you again on the other side of our conversation. I've got a few other things to to say to you. But now let's um, listen to the rest of my conversation with Ian Moore. And here we go. So, uh, you live in the French countryside now, um, and as we said, you moved there 11 years ago. Um, the whole story is, is rather complex, and you've written books about it. Yeah. You've got two published uh, books, which are available from all good bookshops. Absolutely. All uh, good bookshops. All good bookshops, including uh, bookshops online, for example. Amazon, I believe. Amazon. Might have some copies. iTunes, you can buy it. iTunes, any. you can get it on. E-book. Uh, e-book. Abe Books. Uh-huh. W.H. Smith. Tell us a little bit about the books that you've written. They are about my double life, if you like, in that I I live very rurally in France with my wife and family, but then also most weekends I'm in major cities in the UK and quite often around the world performing mm. as a stand-up. And it's about... That's two very different lives. It's two, you know, it's, it's great wandering around Paris this morning, absolutely lovely, but it's, it's, it, it doesn't feel like the same country that I live in just two hours south of here, mm. which is just completely different. And the books are about trying to manage the two different lives. 
and also trying to cope specifically with, with the rural French side of things. Not in a let's laugh at the locals kind of way, because I, it's, I hope that there's no stereotyping in that. There certainly isn't meant to be. But it's about... See, my wife is crackers, and she just she, she just keeps collecting animals. So it's about, again, it's about trying to be a mod. One of the original mod sayings, and I think it was Mark... I think it was Mark Boland when he was a mod. Before Mark? He, yeah, before he became Mark Boland. Mark... I can't remember what his original name was. It wasn't Bolan anyway. He was Mark. Yeah. And he was in the Daily Mail at the age of 15 as this is the mod, this is the ace face. That was that was his first sort of... I didn't know that. Yeah. This is Mark Bolan from uh, T-Rex. T-Rex, that's the, right. The glam rock yeah. musician who uh, was sort of around the same time as David Bowie in the that's Ziggy, right. Ziggy Stardust period. Yeah. Very yeah. glam. Very. You, you'd consider, you wouldn't consider him any, uh, not even remotely mod. No. But he was a, he was original face in the early sixties, and I think he coined the phrase that modernism is clean living and clean living under difficult circumstances. So I've and I've kind of taken that to the nth degree by dealing with goats and horses and yeah. hens and dogs and cats and anything my wife can pick up really. Okay, so you're out there looking after animals, um, yeah. and what else do you do you do with your time out in the countryside? It's down in the Loire Valley. It's down in the Loire Valley. It's near. It's near Tours, which I love. Tours a, a medieval. Tours was the medieval capital of France, actually, mm. and I really love the area. What do I do besides? Do you know what? I don't really know. I don't know. Days just get filled, don't yeah. they? That's that's the beauty of rural France. Is that I'm not. You know, I'm not just sitting around looking about. Yeah. But we're dealing with animals, and we've got the kids, and you know, and you're just living your life, going to the boulangerie, and. <sighs> I make chutney. I make a lot of chutney. Right. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's that's my happy place. Chutney. Uh, just remind my listeners. I'm going to try chutney and explain is. chutney. It's not. It's it's like a it's like a relish. It's like a sauce. It's yeah. um, that you would have with with m- meats or cheeses. It's, it's I think it's an Indian. Yeah. It's an in, from India, really. They would have it like a mango chutney on the side of of your curry or whatever. Just just a little cold refreshment alongside the main meal. Is it like savoury jam? That's one way of putting it. Yeah. So I think everyone knows what jam is. Yeah. So use the jam as the reference point and just yeah. move across. Well, I, you know, I'm a chutney fan, so I'd say that jam was sweet chutney. Sweet chutney, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if my listeners can imagine, you know jam, just imagine jam but not sugary, more just savoury. Yeah, it's more made with vinegar rather than rather than sugar. sugar. There is some sugar in it, but it's more vinegar-based. Okay. So you're making, you're making chutney out there yeah. all the time. What kind of yeah. chutney? Well, anything. Anything that I grow. Yeah. Because uh, we've, got, we've got an orchard. We've got lots of fruit trees. We've had no fruit at all this year because the weather's just been bizarre. It's ridiculous to think after the summer we've had that two months ago we were flooded out where oh, we yeah. are. Were you? We, we were okay. It didn't quite get to our house. But, I mean, near us, whole towns were underwater and, and still not recovered from it. So it's pretty, it pretty desperate for a lot of people. And then, you know, a week later, there's 40 degree heat. You know, yeah. the only people who've enjoyed this summer really are mosquitoes, as far as I can <laughs> make it out. Yeah. I got bitten by a mosquito when we were on holiday during the night, and it bit me on my top lip. Oh. And I woke up looking like, what's that woman who had bad plastic surgery? Oh. Bride of Wildenstein. Just, uh-huh. just massive lip. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> Can't yeah. go out the house like that, no matter how well you're dressed. No, you can't. No, no, no. That's not part of the mod look, no, is no. it? Big lips. Huge <laughs> top lip. No, it's not. <laughs> um, okay, so you're looking after animals. You're, looking, you're making chutney and things like that. So um, I'm basking. Basking in my own smugness, I think. Because uh, I never... 
the plan was when I first came to France with Natalie in 1990, and I just fell in love with that area because we stayed in that area where we are now. And uh, I just said, I want to live here. I want to retire here and write light, undemanding comic novels. This, yeah. is, this is all I want out of life. Yeah, you know. And but we 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 only ever thought that it would be when we retired, and and we just made the decision 11 years ago. Just do you know what? Why not? Give yeah. it a go. Yeah. See, see what happens. Yeah. And it's going well then. It's going amazing. It's going amazingly well. I mean, there's no regrets at all. There's no regrets at all with that. It's, it's, we enjoy our life. I, like I say, I'm very lucky. I have two worlds. So yeah. I get my city fix and people fix. And then I've got this, you know, amazingly tranquil existence. Yeah. There must be some challenges though, especially since you are English and I think you're probably from are you from London basically I moved to London when I was 17 yeah. okay so yeah. you're, you're a city boy yeah English living mod living yeah. out in the middle of the countryside in yeah. France there must be a few sort of challenges and uh, c- uh, cultural differences have you have you come across any cultural problems like that I, d- <laughs> I wouldn't say there are there are cultural problems it's there are Adapting to living in the countryside was quite difficult, mm. I have to say. I mean, the first few months, when you don't hear a siren at night, yeah. you think, well, has the world stopped? Yeah. You know, and, and there, are, there are things that you have to get used to just about living in the countryside. Like, but I'm surprised. Well, because just dealing with flying, buzzing things right. everywhere, you know, right. and farmers who, and hunters... You Poachers. know, people say that the cities are a dangerous place, but you know what? Farmers with with rifles, yeah. shooting parties, basically whacked out on cognac of an afternoon, standing around in a circle shooting bullets over your garden. You get these hunters that come down into your area, yeah. and they just shoot everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. you know, we had a run in with these with these hunters, and that was a pretty ugly incident. That's it's in the second book, but basically. Uh, our children were threatened with guns. Seriously? Yeah, I know. You know, you kind of move out of London and think, let's go somewhere safe like the Loire Valley, and suddenly, all of a sudden, people are threatening to shoot your kids. How did that happen? Well, there was a, there was an incident involved, and the hunters got too close to the house, illegally so, and started literally shooting over the garden. Yeah. Okay, and the kids were in the garden, oh and they God. killed one of these, they killed a partridge, so the partridge landed in the garden. Yeah. Um, which shows how close and how stupidly yeah, they were shooting, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. So one of the hunters came round to the door and said, "Look, you know that partridge has just landed in your garden." Well, it sounds like the beginning of a joke. I know it does. It is ridiculous. And he said, "Well, you know, you, do you what? You can keep that." <laughs> <laughs> and we're like, "Oh, yeah, that's really generous. Thank you very much indeed." <laughs> and it all kicked off, and basically the uh, the head of the the hunting party had said that he'd he was sick of us uh, all these years that we'd lived there absolutely had enough of us and if he saw our children on his land he would not be responsible for his actions what yeah it sounds so, like he threatened to shoot your yes, children yes exactly it's exactly and you know it was a really ugly ugly thing and we were devastated because you you know that just pulls the rug out from under you. You you think you've you've ended up in this paradise, and all of a sudden people are threatening to shoot your kids, and yeah. that kind of puts a you know that's a fly in the ointment of any paradise. I'd yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I I went later on. Natalie and I were discussing, and then I later on that night it was about nine o'clock. It was very dark, and I went walking the hundred yards or so further down. Yeah. To go and confront this uh, this bloke. 
and in the end, his son came around a couple of days later and just said, look, this is nuts. I apologise. Just he's very tired. <laughs> <laughs> Good excuse. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, my father threatened to shoot your children. But, yeah. uh, you know, he's very tired. Know, Give him a break. Yeah. When I get tired, I threaten to shoot people as well. I do it often. Yeah, that's why I don't teach, you know, more than six hours in a day. <laughs> See, in that seventh hour, I start to threaten to shoot everyone. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a natural reaction perfect, for anybody. Perfectly reasonable, understandable yeah. response to being tired. It's, it's mental, clearly, in the bloke's mental. But it's all fine. It's all yeah. fine now. Okay. You know, and they don't hunt as close to the house as they did. Because they were operating illegally, you know. Were you tempted to speak to him in a Michael Caine voice? Well, this is... The <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Because I went, I was storming down the road, and and it was difficult enough to leave the house as it was. Because my middle son was was like wrapped around my leg, going, "Daddy, Daddy, he'll shoot you!" Right, right, so, and right. you know, and I'm going, "I'll handle this, son." And I'm walking down the road, and I'm walking, and I, as I'm walking, I realise I don't have the language skills to cope with this situation <laughs> at all. So I'm walking down and trying to, and I'm so angry, but I'm. And then calming down because I have to think rationally about what I'm going to say in a foreign language in this situation. Yeah. And all I could think of was, was the Godfather. Right. You know, and dubbed, you know, dubbed Godfather and, and Godfather with subtitles that I've been watching to try and get. If you've been watching the Godfather? I try in and French. watch films in French so that I can. Because I know if I know a film off by heart and then I watch it in French, I know what they're, they're saying. Right. Well, that's the theory anyway. And I reached the house, and the bloke wasn't in. It was just his wife. And I started prattling on about bad blood and <laughs> sit-downs, <laughs> going to the mattresses. Right. So you're like, yeah, we're going to have... Your, your husband, he threatened to shoot my children. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're going to have to have a meeting with the five families. <laughs> in French. She's looking at me like I'm as crazy as her old man. You disrespected my family. You threatened to shoot my only son. Look what they did to my boy. <laughs> Um, I bring up the Michael Caine thing because I remember from seeing you on stage I don't know how long you did about half an hour I did um, at the French Fried Comedy Night that's right yeah it was got a lot of fun it was fun, fun wasn't it and uh, at certain points in your show you do break into a sort of Michael Caine yeah. voice in fact you were doing it earlier on in our conversation I can't remember you were talking you were making a point about <laughs> about mod clothing yeah. and obviously my audience couldn't see it but you started pointing it's, it's the pointing isn't it you started it? pointing it. Yeah. at me and you started speaking in this kind of voice. So uh, I don't know if my listeners are aware of the way that Michael Caine speaks or the significance of Michael Caine in terms of British culture in general. Um, he's huge. He, he's, he is huge in terms of, uh, you know, with the mod thing about the 60s and all of that. And it, he's an iconic 60s image, yeah. even if he wasn't in the films. The images of Michael Caine and Terence Stamp yes, as well. Terence Stamp I actually saw on uh, Pall Mall couple of months ago really yeah and he was wearing sandals with socks oh it was it was you know crushing De devastating yeah absolutely devastating terence terence stamp in the 60s was one of the s very smartly dressed young actors yeah with uh, with michael Caine and all that again very iconic um, yeah. poor cow was one of the famous films he did okay. in the mid 60s um if you don't know terence stamp he was also general zog in superman 2 i believe the original superman 2. yeah the original superman christopher 2. reeve yeah yeah okay so, and in fact, my youngest son's named after him. Zod? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't think of anything at the time. General we Zod. just wanted him to be at the end of the school register. <laughs> so he could come in late. Yeah. Uh, so what, his name's Terence? His name's Terence. Because yeah, I, my eldest called Samuel, and I wasn't, you know, 
that wasn't the night. It was, it was my wife's choice. So the next two, when we'd moved to France, we wanted to kind of give them French names, obviously. But I wanted to sneak in some of my own culture. Right. So my middle son's called Morris. And Michael Caine's real name is Morris Micklewhite. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, that's, so Morris got that. My wife thinks it's, it's named after a granddad or something. It's <laughs> nonsense. Um, and Terence, the youngest one, called Terence. Okay. So, okay. so these, these iconic uh, guys from the 60s who are sort of icons of British style, yeah. particularly Michael Caine, yeah. who's famous for wearing this sort of sharp, uh, sort of slim yeah. cut And suits. the glasses as well. And the, since I've had to start wearing glasses, the, I just... It's like it is like being schizophrenic. At times, I would just lapse into pure canism. Yeah, you know, be sitting on the Eurostar this afternoon, just pointing at people. <laughs> what are you looking at? <laughs> you are not sitting on your seat correctly. <laughs> Sit up, straighten your tie. Yeah, be that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, in your in your stand up, every now and then you would just sort of lapse into a Michael Caine impression. You well, you see, the thing about stand up is, and it's it is a performance, and it is you know. You are. You have to underline some points. You have to some material that you've written might be written out of anger, some of it frustration. So you have to act it out. You can't just you can't just say it in a monologue. Yeah. yeah. So when I act it out, I become my accent just becomes more staccato, if you like. The, I break up the words like that so it goes and they get it all the time. Yeah. And I move my hands a lot. And with the glasses, you know, I was just on stage one night and I realised that I was just, <laughs> was just now Michael Caine. <laughs> and, uh, and I just said it, I said, I had no idea where the Michael Caine impression came from. And the response was enormous. They were like, that's it. That's where I recognise yeah. him from. Because, you Somebody know, else. people love impressions. And especially if you don't flag it up. Yeah. Then yeah. that makes it even Ab- better, absolutely. Right? Yeah, and it kind of fits. It it fits my stage persona as well, which is very English and very sort of frustrated, if you like, and deadpan. Good to a to an extent. I'm not as deadpan as I used to be. No, I used to be really deadpan, and I found I found after a while that it was actually less enjoyable to perform. Really? Yeah, because I wasn't. I was going on and trying to hold myself in check. If you see what I mean, yeah, whereas, yeah. whereas after, you know, twelve years of doing it, I, <laughs> I kind of worked out how I should be doing it, right? And just became me, yeah, and very much me. You know, I will dress how I want to dress. I will be, and I will talk about things I want to talk about in a way that I will talk about. Just me and you sitting here, yeah. You know, and that way, when I roll up at work, it is just. It's not Ian Moore as Ian Moore the comedian. It's this is Ian Moore. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not an act as such. Right. Okay. Which is a lot easier to get material as well. Really? Yes. Because you know, you just it's you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to try and put on some kind of performance. Oh, I don't have to stretch myself looking for material that would suit the persona on stage. It's yeah. just me. You know, I can roll up at a gig if I just had a bad experience in a restaurant and talk about that bad experience in a restaurant, and it will fit what I am. So do you do you have trouble coming up with material these days? Not really, not really. And living in France kind of helps with that because most of my work is in England. There's n- there's not many other comedians in England who are mods who live in rural France and have to deal with goats and make chutney a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if there was another one. <laughs> no, can you, are, you, are you on next? Because the bloke who was on before you, <laughs> what? He did a load of goat chutney material. 
<laughs> there's another mod who makes chutney in the French countryside. What? Exactly. So I've kind of got that niche. Yes. And so in, in that respect, it's not difficult. It's not difficult to come up with material. And also because the life is so bizarre. And I've managed, you know, I've written two books about it, and I've I've got blogs constantly on the go. There is is there's such a wealth of material. Yes. Okay. That's great. How did you get into stand up? You've been doing it. Uh, 19 years 19, 19 years I've been doing it I got into stand-up from I went to see a stand-up show in London with a friend of mine and it was okay it was just, it was okay you know and I and I came out and in a typical kind of boastful way just went you know I think I could do that you know yeah and she rang me up a couple of weeks later and she said well there you go I've uh, I've booked you a gig <laughs> you've, got, you've now got a month to write five minutes worth of material mm-hmm. and see how it goes. And I did it. I did the first one and I did it at a pub in Tunbridge Wells and I was so terrified I can't remember anything of the actual time on stage. Mm. Um, I get the odd image flashback like a Vietnam vet. <laughs> but In the middle of the night. <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in Tunbridge Wells. Oh, Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> what is it, darling? Tunbridge, just Tunbridge Wells again. <laughs> And it went, but the thing is, it must have gone really well because I came up and I felt a real buzz and a real high. And then I booked a second gig myself in London yeah. and, and I was so confident and I was so sure that I knew it all that I invited loads of friends and family. <laughs> and it was an open mic night. So there were 16 yeah. acts on and I was on last, right? And it was so bad that there are friends who haven't spoken to me since <laughs> 19 years ago who are, who just lost touch with me after that night. That's how bad it was. So that was bad because you were bad or because the whole night was bad? Well, I was bad. You know, I was... I was it would, it, going on last out of 16 is never going to be an easy thing, but I thought I knew it, and I yeah. knew absolutely nothing. And I bet throughout all those 16, you, as they all died on stage, you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, going to be all going, right. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll rescue this, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> And then I took a year off because I was so, uh, not necessarily traumatised, but I really wanted to look at what had happened. And I took a year off and went back to the same place a year later and did the gig. I didn't invite anybody. I didn't even tell anybody I was doing it. And did it and it went fine. Conquered it. Conquered. Just got that monkey off my back. Yeah. You know, and, which was necessary. Okay, and then that was it, was it? You were like, right, well, I'm doing you this of, now. You, it's a hobby. It starts off as a hobby, or it certainly did then, you, and you do as many open spots for free as you possibly could, and and you really would do, you know, we were living in London, and I would drive up to Manchester, which for your listeners is a, you know, a three-hour drive. Yeah, yeah. Drive up to Manchester, do five minutes on stage for no money, and drive back again just to learn, just to learn the job. Yeah. Um, because what I felt was important was if I wanted to be a stand-up, I didn't just want to be a stand-up in London. You have to go around everywhere because there are slightly different ways of doing it and, and different things you have to approach. So you put in, I put in a lot of effort. And my wife, we moved out of London and my wife said, um, she, was quite, she was doing a well-paid job at the time, she said, you've got two years to make, it, not to make it, but to make it look like this is actually going to be a job. Yeah. Uh, you know, a, a, a wage, or you know, I'm divorcing you. Uh, no, <laughs> or you know, if it's if there's no money, if it doesn't look like it's working after two years, that's it. You have to get a proper job and, yeah. and grow up. Fortunately, yeah. I've never had to grow up. Thank goodness. <laughs> so it worked in the two years. I, it showed enough promise, and at that time, I was I was very lucky because um, when I did, 
I did an open spot at the Comedy Store and um, Lee Evans was on. He wasn't supposed to be on. He'd just come back from the States, but Lee Evans was on. He's, he, Lee Evans is... He was a massive comic and, it, and he was an actor as well. He did Mouse Hunt um, with Nathan Lane. Yeah. Um, he was in There's Something About Mary. That's right, yeah. Um, it was a bit, he's a brilliant, brilliant physical comic. And he was on that night, and he's huge. He was, he was the first one who really did the stadium comedy yeah, yeah. Um, in the UK. Yeah. And he was on, and his agent, his his manager was there, and his manager saw me. And this was only about my eighth or ninth gig or something like that. And his manager saw me and was was really impressed with what he saw, and you know, virtually signed me there and then. Yeah, wow. And I was with you know the biggest agency in comedy. Fantastic. From really early on, you know. Yeah. And they then toured you around the country. Well, they just yeah they they you know they punted me out to, to gigs all over the country you'd go and you'd do a support slot of say 25 minutes mm-hmm. you go on do 25 minutes and then the main act would come on yeah. and I only had five minutes with the material <laughs> so I remember the first time <laughs> I did a gig for them it was in Guildford and I remember just writing material that afternoon yeah. to try and because the most important thing when, you, when you're starting out is not even if you're funny enough but you have to do your time I know yes. that sounds ridiculous, but you have to do your time. So I, you know, floundered for about 25 minutes, but it worked, you know, and, the, and I kept learning. Doing your time is important because uh, the whole night has been organised in advance and you've, they've given you 25 minutes. Yeah. And if you don't do your time, then the other act has got to do more. Absolutely. And if you do more than your time, then the other act has to do less. So yeah. you have to do exactly And especially in London, that becomes more convoluted because if you're a stand-up in London on a Friday and Saturday night, for instance, you can, do, uh, you can end up doing four gigs over the course of the night. Now, if you've got... 20, 30 comedians running around London all doing their 20-minute slots. If somebody does 10 minutes, everything just it falls like a, like dominoes. The tubes, yeah. everything. The, where's this guy? Well, he's got to go there next, and everything just falls down. So you're doing, you know, doesn't matter how badly you're dying on stage. You have to stay. You've got to stay there. So have you, have you had some pretty tough 25-minute uh, sets in the Oh, in time? yeah. Yeah, any comedian who says they've never died is lying. Yeah. You know, just lying. You have... It's been some horrible moments, but you just... I used to take it really personally, stuff like that. Mm. And, you know, touch wood, I, it hasn't happened in a long time. I I now have the skills where, A, I can either turn it around, or B, to just go, this this was never going to work, the situation was never going to work, it's yeah. not my fault, walk away. You know? Right. But, yeah, you, st- you, you know, I think there's always that fear that you yeah. have the really top comics I don't think have that fear really yeah people like people like Harry Hill and Ross Noble who mm. are very sort of idiosyncratic and surreal kind of comics they yeah. they you know they would die and dying on stage they're not they're not dying they're just having a really tough gig as you explain that yeah but they would die a lot when they were in club circuits they, yes. you know and because of the way they were but they would still do it their way right which takes a hell of a lot of guts, I think. Yeah. Harry Hill used to have this thing where if he was really struggling on stage, he'd just say, I don't have to do this, you know, I've got a chicken in the oven at home. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a lovely, disarming way. That is good, yeah. Yes. Because it, I guess sometimes when an audience turns against a, com- a comedian, it's when the, the audience senses that the comedian is trying too hard to yeah. gain the acceptance of the audience. Yeah. And then there's like this subconscious thing of like, no, no, we don't want to try and... Uh, you know, uh, bolster your ego. No, just they, they, they just it. withdraw their support yeah. entirely. 
But if you look like you don't really need their support, you're just there to give them a laugh. Yeah. And that you could just go home because you you've can't got look needy. Yeah, you can't look needy. Right. I saw Paul Foot, who's again a, a surreal actor. Paul Foot, yeah, very yeah. very good actor. So I saw yeah. him years ago on stage, and it wasn't going terribly well. And somebody said something, and he did the most wonderful heckle comeback. He just said, "Oh, don't heckle me. I can't cope." <laughs> and the audience kind of went, "Ah, oh, yeah, fair enough." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a pretty bizarre psychology involved in stand up. Um and so yeah, so you 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 um commute to London um to do your shows and stuff like that and you you, you still travel around the the country? Yeah. A- yeah. Any, any differences in different parts of the UK in terms of the audiences and the way that you have to perform? You uh, it depends really. There I think there are slight differences everywhere. You've got a London can be quite tough. Um, they can be quite, you know, judgmental, the audiences in London, which always strikes me as bizarre because, you know, they've paid to get in. Yeah. You know, they sit there with their arms folded. And yeah, take, like, right, know. let's see what you can yeah. do, comedian. Dance, dance, monkey boy, dance. Yeah. And so London can be quite... Manchester is quite a hard place. For somebody with my accent, right. you have to get over... Some people in Manchester have to get over my accent. Right. I, had, I was once on... I walked on stage in Manchester, said, hello... How are you? And the entire front row just got up and started walking out. Really? Yeah. And I said, I said where oh, you... I don't want this prick from exactly. London, Exactly. This is exactly it. I said, w- what? where are you going? And I went, no, no offence, mate. Just don't like your accent. <laughs> and they, they just left. <laughs> no offence, mate. We just don't like the way you speak. <laughs> exactly. Just taken against you personally for no, no reason. No offence. Just your voice. I know your voice is your living, but it's your voice. Just your entire personality. No offence. Somebody said that to me actually. I recorded an audio book. Well, I did the, the both books are audio books, and somebody contacted me on Twitter and said, "I like your books, but your voice is really annoying." What? <laughs> Just why? Why would you go out of your way? Yeah. To say that anyway. Yeah, I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, oh, well. blocked. Really? Oh, Immediately yeah. blocked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, all right, so yeah, so in some parts, you know, the accent can be a little um, thing to get over. But yeah, um, do you yeah. find certain audiences to be easier than others? Like they say, places like Glasgow and Liverpool can be quite difficult. Well, I tell you what, Glasgow, there's a comedy club in Glasgow called the Stand Comedy Club, and I would say that's one of the best in the country. And, oh yeah, and the audience aren't difficult at all. Yeah, they are wonderful, just wonderful. I did a, I've done lots of gigs there, and I did a gig my. Kevin Bridges, who's a top comic, he's from Glasgow. Yeah, I was up there working at the weekend, and he asked me to stay on for the Sunday because he was doing a new material afternoon. Yeah. So he would he would go on and do about you know forty minutes worth of new material. Yeah, and he asked me if I'd go on before him. <laughs> when you're going on in Glasgow before Kevin Bridges could be suicide. Yeah, and they were they were lovely, just lovely as I, as I've always found them in Glasgow. Oh, okay. Liverpool has been harder. I've had lovely times in Liverpool, but one of the first times I worked there, again, it was one of these ones where I'd driven up. I'm not being paid any money. I've come from, you know, three-hour drive. You walk on stage, and it was just dreadful. Just, they weren't going for it at all. And the compere, who was, what was his name? Terry Titter. Terry Titter. Yeah. Oh, I'm Terry Titter. Yeah, and with, with fake rouge on his on his what? cheeks, yeah, and, and false glasses and stuff. It was just... And he came on stage after me and went, yeah, next time just hang yourself, mate. 
which that classic Liverpool uh, yeah, humour. Which, <laughs> which, you know, that, that puts a dampener on your three-hour drive back south. I Next tell you. time, just hang yourself. Oh, thanks it a was, lot. It was, it was horrible. And I didn't go back to Liverpool for years. Really? And then I went back, actually not that long ago, about three or four years ago, and had a lovely time. Just had a lovely time. But I haven't been back since. It's one all. <laughs> I'll, go, I'll go back another one time. One all. Uh, how about French? Do you perform to the French? Do you perform in French? I performed once in French. I did a gig. Funnily enough, I did it in London. I did, the Comedy Store in London had this thing where twice a year they'd um, they'd bring a, a big French act over yeah. and and do a night where so and it'd be sold out um, five hundred you know francophones because there's there's you know. Tons of French people living in London. Is it something like 400,000 or something? Something ridiculous. It is just astonishing. They basically own South Kensington. Yes, I think, they, do. they do near the consulate. Yeah, it is. Yeah, if right. I ever need my fix, if I'm in London for too long, I just nip down to South Kensington. That's right. It's the most Parisian part of London, yeah, I think. Yeah. It's kind of the smartest. It's most nice French as well. There's a bit of cafe culture going on, yeah, isn't there? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. So I did I did a gig at the Comedy Store, 500 French people, and it was. So I was so nervous, just so nervous, because I, over the years I've been doing this, obviously I've gained a lot of skills, and if something's not working, I can come out of it and just chat to somebody, or I can mm-hmm. go in a different direction. What I was doing there, doing it in French, which is, you know, I'm no way fluent, yeah. was just stripping down. I had none of those skills that I could rely on. I couldn't come out, or if somebody was going to heckle me, man, I would just, I'd just shatter it to yeah. bits, yeah. right? But it went really well. It went really well. And the I was who was the main act that night? The Comte, Comte de Boudabala. Oh yeah. He's quite a big cheese Sammy. over here. His name's Sammy. I've I've met him. He right. he performs at a, actually he performs in uh in Republique. Oh right. And yeah. the theatre. Um him and his manager or you know, they kind of took over the theatre and set it up the way they wanted it. Yeah. They made it look exactly like the London comedy store. No way. Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's That's a brilliant room. It's a really, really good room. Very low ceiling. It's yeah. all black. Uh, just a fairly sort of, you know, small stage at the front with the, the chairs all That's around it. The very same way. interesting. They tried to, tried their very best to make it as similar to the London Comedy Store as possible. And as a result, it's a brilliant yeah. room. And is it just him then, or do they have club nights uh, as well? I think that they have a few other nights there too. Okay, that's but, interesting. Uh, and that's La, La Republique? Rep- Le Théâtre de Republique. Okay, I might yeah. have to look that up then. Um, just check him out and see, because yeah. that's a really good room. Yeah. And Comte de Boudoubalau means Lord of the Ghetto, doesn't it? Does it? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. I went to see his show. Yeah. Uh, because there was... There, there was. There's lots of ideas always get thrown around here in, in Paris, you know, and hardly any of them ever actually come to fruition. Same as London, and uh, everywhere. There was this idea that we would put on a, a weekly show there with him and uh, me and a few other people. It would be in English. And it would be like you know the Paris's number one English language comedy show. Right. Never actually happened. Right. But we did go That's and see a show. a show, and we hung out with him and stuff like He's that. He's a nice fella. He is very funny. I didn't understand. See, I uh, I didn't take to him immediately because no. um, we were in the dressing room, and I was terrified. I was, and I was making it very clear that I was terrified because okay. it was all in French. It right? was all in French. Everything was in French. So obviously, the bar staff weren't because I know that, and I've known the bar staff for years, and yeah. they were all saying, "Are you all right?" Because <laughs> you look awful. <laughs> And I went, look, I just want to get this out of the way. Okay, I'm terrified. I just, it's going to be horrible. Let's get it done. I was only supposed to do 10 minutes. Yeah. And before I go on, at the comedy store, there's a, there's a little dressing room backstage. So you, you wait for your name to be announced. You pull open the door and you, uh, you step on and you're immediately on the stage. 
Mm. And now in England, in the UK, there's a tradition of saying break a leg to, in theatrical and comedy circles. Break a leg, which means good luck, have a good gig, basically. Yeah. Break a leg. Do you know where it comes from, break a leg? No, I don't. A leg is part of the... Uh, above a theatre stage, you have lots of different wooden beams that come up and down. Yeah. So basically, to break a leg means to bring the house down. Oh, I see. So that's where that comes from. So if, so if you get if you do really well on stage, uh, it's like you destroy the place. Yeah, like everybody's... You know, they're taking the roof off the place with such noise and applause and, uh, you know... So it's not actually one of your legs. No, you don't actually break a leg. Because I've always thought it was just like somewhat your own leg. No. That you come out of the gig and you've like, yeah, right. I had a really good gig. Oh, uh, my just, God, my just leg. Just take a hammer to your own knee. No. It was that good. So no, actually, it wasn't that. It's a part of the stage. It's so part of the stage. Break part a leg, the whole you take, stage. The, roo- take yeah. the roof off. Yeah. Okay. So that's a, that's a, that's a, an, an English tradition, isn't it? Where you say, well, break your leg, have a, have a good show. I didn't, know, I didn't look into what were the French traditions. So yeah. I, the Conde de Ballard does, does the offstage announcement, please welcome. It's his first time he's ever performed in French. Make him feel really welcome. Please welcome Ian Moore. And I opened the door to step out, and everybody in the dressing room just shouted, merde, at me. <laughs> and I turned around and I thought... How rude are you, people? <laughs> and I was so angry as I stepped up onto the stage that I was kind of flummoxed. And then afterwards, somebody explained to me that, no, that is their version of break a leg. Yeah, merde. Do you, yeah. Know, you know where that comes from? Shit. That's right. Yeah. But do you know why they say shit no. to you? So obviously, listeners, merde is French for shit. Yeah, yeah. And so the idea is that uh, to wish you good luck for your gig, they they say, I hope that you have lots of shit outside the venue. This is back from <sighs> the days when uh, everyone travelled around with horses, right? horse-drawn carriages and stuff. Okay. If there's a lot of people who come to see your show, there would be a lot of horse shit outside your venue because of the horses and the carriages and, the, is and that the, right? all, the, all the people who'd come Sounds to... Sounds like an episode of QI. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> Apparently that's the... Uh, that's even that's more convoluted than break a leg, isn't it? Is, it is, isn't it? I hope you have and lots also, of horse shit. And also, it doesn't make sense. No? Well, you can have loads of people there, but they've already gone there. They're not going to turn up halfway through because they've heard it's good. They've already agreed to go. But they, it just means I hope that there's lots of people at your show. Right, but that doesn't mean you're going to have a good show. That's I've right. Done, I've, I've done shows where there's lots of people at the show, <laughs> and I've done an appalling job. There's literally shit in the room. That's a very good point. I, they've got it all wrong, haven't yeah, they? Yeah, they have. Yeah, yeah. I I'm think they have to have a to be, word with someone. They need to be told. Um, so that gig, that gig, it went really well. I was supposed to do ten minutes. I ended up doing about eighteen, which is a bit naughty. But I had no idea. I had no idea yeah. of the time I was doing. The red light kept flashing in front yeah, of me. I should have been in the zone. I was. I was just, you know, riffing, riffing yeah. in a foreign language. Brilliant. And then another actor, a French act, uh, she came on after me. And she said, uh, she started off by saying, oh, that guy, meaning me, how on earth did you understand what he was saying? <laughs> <laughs> what kind of accent was that? Uh, right. And the audience booed her. Really? Yeah, because they'd really taken me to, the, to their hearts. Yeah. They, they could see, because I think what happened basically was that the audience thought I was a character act that I was playing the role of an Englishman <laughs> with a really bad accent struggling in a language he didn't understand, and I'd got it down to perfection. Well, yeah, I had, because it's me. <laughs> it wasn't a character at all. Okay. Well, I suppose also, as French people living in London, they sort of understood the plight of a, a person. That well, this is the thing. That, that's why I did it there as well, because they, because they were you know, bilingual and, and polyglot and all of that. That, that I was kind of, you know, if it was, if it, if there had been a point 
where it was going really badly, I knew that I could do something in English right. and probably get away with it. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I kind of had that safety net, right. which I was determined not to use. And I didn't have to in the end. Mm-hmm. I was really proud of myself. Okay. Really proud of myself. So proud of myself that I've done nothing since <laughs> <laughs> in French. You probably get gigs in French here all the time. I've, I, there was, I, have, I have booked a couple in and then taken them out because other things have, have come up and so I haven't yeah. been able to do them. Yeah. But um, I'd love to be able to. I, re- I really would love to be able to. I think it would be an extra... Because Paul doesn't Paul, Paul does, does gigs it. English and French, doesn't he? It helps Which him a lot. Is a hell of a thing. A hell of a thing. Well, he's basically bilingual. You know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, doing them in both languages definitely helps because you just get your name known. Yeah. Like I never perform in French. I just perform in English, and no one knows who I am. No one cares. Yeah. You there know? is that. There is that. You see, and that's. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, to be able to do it completely bilingually must be a hell of a thing. Yeah. His his show, in fact. He's got a show called Hashtag Franglais. Right. And it's literally half in French and half in English, like sentence by sentence. Really? He sort of mixes it up completely. He'll do a bit in English, a bit in French. Uh, all well, like those books. Like you can buy those books, can't you, which is one page in English yeah. and then the Another next page, page is in French, but the same stuff. But that's the same thing. Yeah. So I don't, think he's, I don't think he's managed to spin half an hour into an hour of just like doing it in French and then and now English and then doing it in English he's uh, like you know he's found that some bits seem to work better in English and other bits work better in yeah. French so um, he's kind of made that his thing that it's, it's 50-50 good for him yeah yeah, yeah it's working out for him too yeah, it's, it's I admire that I really admire that if I was in any kind of way any sort of linguist I'd give it a go yeah well, you seem but to be better than me. I haven't even done a f- gig in French yet. Have you not? Have you not tried? No, I'm not really ready. I don't think my French is ready. But uh, but there's only one way to find out. There is only one. I d- you know I d- I didn't think mine was ready. But I was. It was a very odd thing actually because I'd I'd actually been working at the comedy. St- this was on a Monday night, the French gig, and I'd been working at the comedy store Thursday, Friday, Saturday. But then I'd stayed over in London. Mm-hmm. There was no point coming home yeah. all that way and then going back again. I'd stayed in London. And I'd basically hold myself up in this hotel room to prepare properly yeah and i, I remember it was uh, it was remembered sunday it was 11th of november and i went for a walk in regent's park and was just basically acting like a madman dressed impeccably but just spouting this french right <laughs> just trying to rehearse it but you got away with it because you were so well dressed. exactly exactly that i think they thought i was some kind of war veteran Right, I'd been hit on the head with a bomb or something. Right, and and I was in Regent's Park, and there's this noise, this noise like a like a, a really angry wasp's nest. And all of a sudden, I got to the end of Regent's Park, and about two hundred mods, what on scooters? They were doing their annual Armistice Day mod rally, and yeah. I didn't know anything about this because I'm not a scooter mod. So I'm standing at the head of Regent's Park, spouting this. And I'm dressed as King Mod. <laughs> 200 of my people <laughs> come past on a kind of fly past and I just it just felt it just felt like there was something in that you know yes. you, kind of, you kind of clutch at stuff when you're really nervous and really need sort of comfort yeah and it was, it was I just felt really good about it. so it was that. a sign it was a sign a sign of approval from, the, from the mod god yeah I, I saluted as I went past like some <laughs> air commodore <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, what about in France? Are you are you are you doing any gigs in France? Um, I've got nothing lined up. I was going to do the French Fried last week, I but that that, that didn't go ahead. No, it's, uh, it's not happening. I think no, yeah. it's, which is a shame. And I've there used to be gigs down south which don't go ahead anymore. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, I'd like to come up to Paris and do more than I do because I really enjoyed that French fried comedy night that I did. And also yeah. I learned quite a lot that night about what works and what doesn't work and I'd yeah. really like to try some material that would be in English but specifically about France to French people. Yeah. I think that would yeah, be yeah. quite an interesting thing to do. Well, contact Rob. Uh, con- yeah. Contact Sebastian Marks. Yeah, I know, I know Sebastian as well. He, he does it in English and French, doesn't That's he? Right, well, he does, yeah. American and French. Yeah. Not really English. It's not the same. I was on a website yesterday. What was I looking at? I think it was a hotel website, and they had, you know, they have the language options at the top. They right. had American and English. Really? <laughs> yeah. How bizarre is that? Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like, choose your language, and there was an yeah. American and an English yeah. version. Yeah. Oh, well, that's the way it should be, really, isn't it? You know, we don't, don't want the mixing up. No, the, absolutely not. The versions. Um, okay. So I guess you're in the process of writing book number three at the moment, are you? I've just finished writing my first fiction book. Ah, um, which is something I, that's that's kind of where I want to go mm. with that. So, and I'm looking for an agent on that because I, my I had a literary agent, but she's more into non-fiction, so it's quite difficult for to go forward with with her with that. Yeah. So that's all finished, and you know, just see how that goes. Okay. And I started doing a blog called uh, Full English Brexit, yeah. which is about obviously is about the Brexit, but it's also about me. The story behind that is me um, trying to get French nationality because I want the same nationality as my family, basically. And it, it, could, it could get really messy in the next few years and I just want to make sure that we're all in the same group, as it were. Yeah. And that's gone... I started doing that blog just after the Brexit vote and that's had a lot of, a lot of interest and a lot of views. It has, you know, it has thousands of views every week when I put really? one out now and that's, that's really sort of gratifying. And that may form the basis of the next the next book. Okay. And it's also I've been asked to go on TV and talk about that as well. In the UK. In the UK, yeah. So yeah, that's quite exciting. That's you know you mm. start these things. I started it almost in a fit of pique after after the Brexit vote. Just yeah. couldn't understand what was going on. Yeah. And it just seems to have hit a note. You know. Well, in a nutshell, then, how do you feel about the Brexit thing? Because I did talk about that quite a lot on the podcast. Right. I just think it's nuts. I don't see how making the world smaller is in any way a help to anybody. It's yeah. um, uh, the best way to explain it is that I've got a 15-year-old son who's who's half English, half French, and and quite worldly and quite politically aware, quite yeah. savvy. And he was really angry, really yeah. angry about the whole thing. And he said to me, "How come some 70-year-old?" is determining my future to that extent just because they don't like the shape of the bananas or yeah. weights and measures. You know, it's just, it's such an insular thing to have done. Yeah. And I really think it was, nobody expected it. Nobody in power expected it. And what it's happened is it's public school brinkmanship that went too far. And now they're all wandering around Whitehall going, shit. Yeah. Because it seemed to be just like an internal fight yeah. in the Conservative Party. Yeah. Uh, between the sort of the, the 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 right wing of the Conservative Party and the slightly less right wing yeah. of the Conservative <laughs> yes. Party, yes, and it was all about sort of like you know pressure to ha- take a strong position on Europe, yeah. yeah, and so Cameron called the referendum, thinking that he would uh, not lose, yeah, and that then he would be in a much stronger position, yeah. and, and well, he he called it to win the last election as well, yeah, but he knew that it would take the wind out of UKIP's sails, and therefore win a few more Conservative seats. So it was purely about the Conservative Party, and now they've screwed up the country. In my opinion, screwed up the country. And, you know, the world to an extent. Well, yeah. 
yeah, it's, it, the knock-on effect is going to be enormous. And, and everybody in the UK at the moment is saying things like, well, see, everything's fine. No, the economy hasn't collapsed at all. And you'd point out, we haven't left yet. Yes. We're still there. Yeah. You know, exactly. and the, the demands that they're making are, well, we want to be in the single market, but we don't want to pay towards it. And we don't want any of you people coming over here. Well, you try and get a divorce on those grounds, yeah. you know. I'm leaving you, but I'd like sex regularly. <laughs> I'm not going to contribute to the mortgage and don't follow me home. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to get that. It's yeah. absurd. I'm leaving, I'm divorcing, but I still get to live with you. <laughs> and I still get to eat the food that you've prepared, yeah. but I don't have to look after the kids. Absolutely. It's yeah. just crazy. It's nuts, isn't it? Okay, so we so where do we find that uh, uh, full English Brexit? It's on my if you go to my website ianmore.info, all the books and audio books and blogs and chutney. <laughs> really? <laughs> Suit rec- Yeah, yeah. Can I buy your chutney? You can buy. I well, not this year because there isn't any. Right. But um, yeah, normally and normally what I do is I take some to gigs because you get a lot of comics in the UK who, who after the show they'll try and sell a DVD or a CD of yeah. stuff you've just seen, yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, people need coasters so badly that they buy a comics DVD. After. <laughs> I, I'd like my plan was to just set up a table at the back of a comedy club, a little gingham tablecloth, <laughs> bang out some chutney. <laughs> Not bad, but Not you know bad you can't. Idea. You can't. It's very difficult to take chutney into the country with the, you know security measures and right, that, international chutney restrictions. Right. Yeah. Don't want to be known as the chutney bomber. Right. Yeah. yeah. You just drop the chutney into yeah. situations. Yeah. Okay. Deal with that. So, um, so ianmore.info, and that's where people can find the two books that you've got published at the moment. Yeah. The first one's called Alamod. Alamod, my so-called tranquil family life in rural France. Okay. And the second one's called C'est Modnifique, Adventures of an English Grump in Rural France. Are you, are you a grump? You well, grumpy? curmudgeonly. I like to think, I'm, I've, as, I've, as I get older, I'm kind of just curmudgeonly. What's the difference between curmudgeonly and well, grumpy? I think, I think curmudgeonly is always done with a bit of love behind it. Grumpy is just bad mood, isn't it, yeah. really? You know, yeah. there's kind of a, you can be a curmudgeonly old uncle who's sarcastic but quite, you know, a bit of a laugh. It's just grumpy. It's just, you know. So grumpy's mainly pejorative, but curmudgeonly is sort yeah. of quite affectionate yeah. as so well as being... Cuddly. Right. Cud- is a cuddly grump. Right. A curmudgeon is a cuddly grump. Okay. So you've got, you're grumpy, but your heart's in the right place. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So, a la mod, and it's sort of a play on, a, on a several expressions. Yeah, right? there you go. That, try and explain it. A la mode is yes. fashionable in C'est French. Isn't a la mode it? means yeah. it's in fashion. Yeah. And a la mod was just the mod thing and means nothing. <laughs> it's just, it just it's just clever wordplay for okay. no reason whatsoever. And c'est magnifique, which is like c'est magnifique, which is like it's fantastic. Yeah, but with mod again means nothing. Doesn't even <laughs> exist. I've made it up. All right, okay. So those two books, Chutney. Uh, what else? Any other bits and pieces? Your blog, which can be found on your blog. website. There's too. there's there's links to lots of YouTube stuff. If you want to watch that gig I did in French, that's on there. Yeah. So if you want to see me really awkwardly manhandling a microphone stand for 15 <laughs> minutes while struggling in a foreign language, it's all on there. Okay, all right. Well, that's where people can check and out. Gigs, so. uh, well, there's, uh, there's also a page of all the gigs I've got coming up, so if you're around. Yeah. If you're listening to this in Venezuela, I wouldn't look at that page because yeah, I might not be going No there, plans to go to Venezuela? I'd love to. Yeah. I'd, that's the only continent I haven't gigged on. South America? South America. Really? Yeah. Do you have plans to go abroad? 
So I always like going abroad because it's just they are they are a lot of fun to do. When I was young and I wanted to travel, um, I didn't have the money to be able to do so, nor really the energy and stuff. And I was never I was never a backpacker. You know, that's no. not my thing. I no. couldn't dress, couldn't wear a backpack. No, it doesn't not, work. Not, not with a suit. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I never did the backpack thing. But the fortunate thing about being a comedian is I've been paid to go all over the world, and so I've seen a lot of it, which is fantastic. Okay. Fantastic stuff. So, are you, are you going anywhere soon? Where am I going? I might be going to Hong Kong for a day. Really? <laughs> yeah. In February to do a gig. Just got, fly me over a day. I've got listeners in Hong Kong. Have you? Well, I, I might see you there. I might see you. But it's straight in and out. Right. But, you it's know, I've gigged in Hong Kong a lot, actually. And it's that's always great fun. Really? Did, you did there, we did there, and then we went on to Shanghai. And then we went to Manila. Yeah. And we've done, you know, Bangkok and Phuket. All those places that you go, you go on from there, all across the Middle East and North Africa and yeah. did a festival in Boston in the States and Australia, did a TV show in Australia, which was, which is great, you know, you just get flown over to yeah. Australia just for a day. What Again, a just for a day. Actually, it was two days, but I stayed longer because it was, you know, you can't go all that way and not stay. What a life. It is. It is. It's, it's, you know, it's really... I never thought that would happen. When I was driving up to Manchester or being told to hang myself at Liverpool, yeah. I never <laughs> I never thought I'd be doing a TV show in Melbourne. You yeah. Know. yeah, yeah. Right. Well, it's it's really great to talk to you, Ian. And, Thank you. Uh, you know, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. And uh, I've really enjoyed it. I love the view. I might stay for a little bit. Yeah, Should we yeah. have lunch here? Yeah. Okay, let's sure. do it. Um, okay, so I recommend people to visit your website and stuff like that. Look out for Ian Moore if he ever comes to your town. If you live in Hong Kong, for example, he might be there soon. <laughs> We're now uh, going to just enjoy the view a bit. Um, all right, well, have, you're travelling back to London. I'm going on the Eurostar now, yeah. 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 Back to London okay. and uh, gigging there tomorrow and then back home to rural France on Friday. Okay, right, well, have a good gig and enjoy being back at home. Thank you. All right, cheers. Okay, so there you go. That was uh, Ian Moore. Uh, let me know how that was for you, okay? Let me know if it was completely impossible to understand everything. Um, how much of it did you did you understand? Did you manage to keep up with it all? Just let me know. Um, so as Ian said, he does perform internationally sometimes. So check out his website uh, in order to find out if he's doing comedy in your area soon. Uh, ianmoore.info is his website, so have a look. Uh, he might be coming to your area at some point. Um, in fact, many cities around the world these days have English comedy scenes. Uh, it might be a small scene with amateur comedians still developing their comedy skills, or it could be a more advanced uh, scene with professionals like Ian, who will always make you laugh. Uh, but in any case, whether it's professional or amateur, a big scene or a small scene, Going to see live comedy can be a really good thing uh, to do for your English and you might end up meeting some people and making friends all in English. So don't be shy, give it a try. And remember not to get demotivated if you don't understand all the jokes. Like, for example, if a comedian goes on for three minutes about rushing to the venue and you don't really understand what he's talking about. Don't be bothered by the things that you don't understand. Just do your best to work them out and keep going. And eventually, with more and more practice, you'll manage to reduce the number of things you don't know and expand the things that you do know. 
just before we end this uh, episode, I'd just like to give a couple of shout-outs. Check me out like a sort of hip-hop MC. I'm going to give a couple of shout-outs. I'm going to give a shout-out to Hussein, who might be driving in his car while listening to this. He just uh, wrote a comment on my website today saying, basically, I'm stuck in a traffic jam and I've been listening to your podcast. Please mention my name in the next episode. Well, Hussein, uh, here, here, here it is. Here's my shout out to you. Hello, Hussein. Um, and I hope you're not stuck in a traffic jam. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to anyone who's stuck in traffic at this point. I know a lot of people listen to this podcast while they're driving. So if you are stuck in traffic, then here's a shout out special one special mention for you. I'd like to give a shout out to any Beatle fans, any Monty Python fans, and in fact any Star Wars fans out there. You are my people. and I'm just, I just wanted to give you a shout out because I love you. Okay. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Kat, uh, Catherine, the Koala Ninja, and the top commenter on the website this month. Kat has been having conversations with other Lepsters. She's been leaving comments on episodes in the archive. She's been devouring Luke's English podcast like some sort of shark uh, recently. And uh, that's fantastic. So hello, Kat, and thanks for all the comments. I'd like to give a shout-out to Nadej from France, who is a new listener who recently commented on the website. And in fact, I'd like to give a shout-out to all other Lepsters in France. You are a rare breed because I don't have many listeners in France, even though I live here. Uh, so, bonjour, uh, salut to all of the French listeners that I have. Um, I'd like to give a shout-out to every listener, all Lepsters, who listen until the end of each episode. Uh, that's basically you who's listening to this right now, because I expect that I've been talking for over an hour at this point. So, if you're, if you're listening all the way to the end, um, then, you know, here's a shout-out for you, and you are... Uh, all of you are wonderful human beings. I'd like to give a shout out to anyone who's donated to the podcast. You are extra, super, mega, special, wonderful human beings. Thank you very much for your donations. You make this podcast possible. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to Venkatesh, who is a long-term listener who sent me a message recently. Um, and Venkatesh basically sent me a message saying, I've been listening to you uh, uh, long term and I just really appreciate your podcast thank you Venkatesh and I actually genuinely really appreciate it when people send me a message like that even if it's just a few lines just saying thanks I really appreciate the podcast it really does mean a lot to me to read those messages of thanks so in fact to anyone who's ever contacted me and said thanks for the podcast I appreciate that too it's very polite of you to have written to me and I, I'm very glad that the podcast uh, is enjoyable and helpful for you. I'd like to give a shout out to all long-term listeners of this podcast. Anyone who's been listening since I was on Podomatic, for example, uh, back in the olden days, a uh, special shout out to all the long-term Lepsters. Um, I'd like to give a shout out to the mouse that um, managed to escape from my mouse trap recently and apparently is not dead because um, I haven't found any evidence of dead mouse in my apartment. So no smell, nothing. In fact, it seems that the mouse has retired. Maybe it's, as I said before, rolling around in a wheelchair in some sort of retirement home for mice. Well done, mouse. You managed to escape um, unharmed from my death trap. Good job to you. So that's a little mouse update. I've also got a Jarvis Cocker update. Now, those of you who have listened to lots of these episodes will know that um, I live virtually next door to the uh, English uh, 
musician, Jarvis Cocker. He lives just a couple of doors away from me um, here in Paris. I don't think he lives there all the time. I think he just comes and lives, he comes and stays in this apartment, like, you know, just sometimes during the year. And every now and then I walk past him or I see him in the street or he sits next to me in a cafe or something. He's my neighbour, basically, Jarvis Cocker. He was a, he's amazing. He's absolutely amazing. He was in a band called Pulp, who were huge in the 1990s. One of the best bands of the 1990s from the UK. Uh, and so, I've, as I've said on the podcast before, I keep seeing Jarvis Cocker in the street, and I'm desperate to invite him onto the podcast. I just don't know how to do it. And, I, you know, I can't just go up to a man in the street, a famous person in the street, and go, Hello, I'm Luke from Luke's English Podcast. Do you want to be on my podcast? I don't really know how to do it. So I've been, you know, trying to work out ways of doing it. But I promise the next time I get the chance, I will approach him and I'm going to say, sorry to bother you, Mr. Mr. Jarvis, sir. Uh, but um, I think we're neighbours and I was hoping that you might be interested in coming on my podcast. Could you, would you please, please, please? And we'll see what he says. So that's a Jarvis Cocker update. I, I had another sighting of Jarvis, which... Um, kind of makes me optimistic about getting him on the podcast at some point. Maybe I'll like slip a note under his door or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, so we're nearly finished. I, um, I just want to say, um, I just want to remind you to join the mailing list. Go to my website, teacherluke.co.uk. And in the top right-hand corner, under the logo, you'll see a space where you can join the mailing list. And that is the easiest way to get access to the page for every episode of this podcast whenever it's uploaded. You'll just get an email in your inbox and then one click and bang, you're on the page for the episode and that's where you can read notes, transcripts, see all the videos and extra content that I post there. Um, Don't forget to send me an anecdote for the competition. Remember, just have fun. Uh, no, No pressure, just enjoy yourself and record an anecdote. The closing date is the 5th of October. Um, and uh, if you haven't done so already, please do complete the survey that I mentioned in the last recording that I uploaded. That's it then. Thanks very much for listening. Have a really great day or night or whatever it is that you're experiencing. If you're eating a cake, then have a good cake. If you're driving, have a good drive. Drive carefully, okay? If you're crossing the road, look both ways before you do it. And uh, generally, um, you're brilliant all right well done for being a lepster that's it speak to you on the podcast soon leave your comments on the website okay all right then take care bye 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 bye. thanks for listening to luke's english podcast for more information visit teacherluke.co.uk Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.